Have you ever stopped to think that the best and worst place to live is in your mind? Think about it. We can create our own destiny or our own downfall. It all has to do with the way that we choose to think and see things. Welcome to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit, with your host, Dr. Paula Joyce. Dr. Paula is here with her guest experts to show you just how to change that negative way of thinking and see your world in a positive light. Now, here is Dr. Paula. Good morning. Welcome, and thank you for joining us. Um, We're going to begin today by answering some questions that arose as a result of last week's show on the labyrinth and also some of the conversation about releasing anger. And then after the break, we'll have the privilege of talking with Dr. Bernie Siegel on self-healing and his new book, The Art of Healing. Last week stimulated a number of questions. Some people, and actions, some people immediately sought out a labyrinth in their area and talked about the wonderful experiences that they had. Others have written in that they still don't quite get it. And maybe they just have to experience it, but the idea of going into to do something that they're not quite sure about is creating some fear. So I thought because of these mis- mixed responses that it would be good to spend a little more time talking about the labyrinth. Some of the background is that it's an ancient spiritual tool. It was found in ancient Greece on the island of Crete and even on the floor of King Solomon's palace. So that it had sacred value across many traditions and for a very long time is well documented. The experience of it is actually quite beautiful because it helps you quiet your mind, focus your thoughts, and hear your inner wisdom. And that's a very hard thing to do in our busy society and in a a society where our left brain, our logical mind is so loud that it shuts out the quieter voices of our intuition, our inner wisdom, of the spiritual realm, of the parts of ourselves that know the truth and are authentic to us. And the labyrinth gives us an opportunity for those voices to be louder than the logical conscious mind's voice. The way I use the labyrinth has changed over the years. But initially, I would go in with a specific intent of what I wanted to release and what I wanted to replace it with. To accomplish this, I would say a prayer or just set an intention before I entered. Um, For instance, I'd ask to release confusion or anger or fear, whatever was going on in that moment that was causing me distress. Then as I walked toward the center of the labyrinth, I would whisper whatever words came into my head as a walking meditation and also as a practice in self-empowerment, as 
as a practice for learning how to listen to myself, to my intuition, to my inner wisdom, rather than to all of the other voices that were telling me who I should be, what I should do, how I should respond, trying to get centered within myself. And then when I got into the center, I would again pay attention to the words of wisdom that I was hearing and also to the feelings in my body and not allow myself to be embarrassed or to censor myself. So if I felt like lying down in the middle of the labyrinth, I would. If I felt like skipping, I would. If I felt like running or hopping or dancing or whatever, I would allow myself that freedom in that space. And then as I walked out of the labyrinth, again, I would pay attention to the speed that I needed to walk at, not at the speed that I was supposed to be working and, and, and going and doing and speeding up in the real world. This was a place for me to be authentic. And I would again listen to the words and whisper them to myself as I was walking out. To, and whatever it was that I was hearing, whether it was bringing in peace or strength or faith, whatever I needed at that moment. And upon leaving the labyrinth, I would often sit down and write my thoughts, my feelings, my experience, and or just contemplate it. Sometimes, uh, and, and again, I wouldn't force myself to do one thing or the other, oh, I should write. Sometimes I just felt like sitting. Sometimes I would take a walk uh, where I often walked the labyrinth. There was a meditation garden. If it was nice outside, I'd go and sit there for a while. Whatever in, I was experiencing and being guided to, I allowed myself to listen to that guidance and to pay attention. And it was good practice for learning to be in the flow, for allowing myself to be me. The labyrinth acts as an energy field, a space that's able to contain whatever emotions you're feeling without hurting others. It's a space where people feel safe and peaceful. The truth emerges even when it doesn't seem logical. I remember being very puzzled once when I found myself skipping in the center of the labyrinth. It was only afterwards that it made sense when a woman came up to me and said how much she appreciated my skipping, that she had just been asking for a sign that a little girl who she loved, who had died, she wanted a sign that that little girl was okay. And the skipping said to her that the child was joyful and free and okay. That she was, yes, we were still mourning her loss in the physical realm, but she was in a place where she was happy. It was that one mind experience that Dr. Larry Dossey talked about 
last um, two weeks ago from his book, One Mind, where there's a consciousness beyond our physical mind that allows us to all connect, to all, to know each other, to know love, to experience love, to feel connection without words interfering. Something happened in that moment that was sacred and profound. And little miracles like that happen with the labyrinth all the time. It's allowing ourselves to move into the unknown and experience the unknown to put aside the fear. Mark Twain said the only way around it is through it. So sometimes we just have to go through the fear, through the experience, just to allow it, and or through the feeling. As um, Lauren Artress and I were talking about last week, stuffing feelings down is harmful. All the research is showing now that we need to allow ourselves to feel and then to let go of whatever emotions are, are hurting us so that they don't do damage under the surface. And we talked specifically about anger last week and how to release anger. And we talked about the labyrinth as one, pos- one way to do that and righteous indignation, which leads to positive action, being another way to do that. The question of anger, however, is not so easily put to rest. I got another email from someone who had never been allowed to show anger as a child. So he said, how do I express my anger now as, as an adult? I'm no longer in that household where I was not allowed to show anger, but I still don't know how to express my anger, and I don't want to hurt anyone. So how do, how do I do that? And the truth is that it isn't always possible. Anger is a normal part of being human, and somehow we've gotten the idea that to be a good person or a spiritual person, you should never express anger, or we should never say or do anything that might be offensive to somebody. Yes, we don't want to go around intentionally spewing anger and, um, and fear and negativity, But sometimes things need to be expressed, even if they um, aren't something that we, we view as being who we are. But we are all of our emotions as well as the goodness within us. There's also the part of us that feels anger, jealousy, and all of the other spectrum of emotions. So our physical, emotional, and mental well-being depend on our ability to identify our feelings, to allow ourselves to have them, to feel them, and then let them go 
in as healthy a way as possible. And if they've been bottled up for a long time initially, that may not feel so good and it may not come out the way you want. So it may be like a dam opening up and a gush of water um, flowing. Over time, that will diminish as the pent-up anger and the bottled-up anger has a way out and more healthy ways, then it begins, the um, negative aspects of it begin to diminish and it just becomes another part of our being human. But if we keep it inside, it's causing harm to ourselves. It's causing depression thoughts of suicide, feelings of helplessness and hopelessness. We are literally depressing, pressing down our feelings where they're wreaking havoc within our cells, within our bodies, and causing dis-ease, lack of ease, disease. There was a a wonderful study that um, Dr. Bernie Siegel points out in his new book, The Art of Healing, where he talks about how there's proof that our body chemistry changes based upon our emotions and thoughts. So for those who like concrete proof, they've actually done studies on actors that show that their body chemistry changes based upon whether they're acting in a drama or in a comedy. Now, if acting a part can cause a change in your cells, what do you think would happen to your cells if you're feeling drama in a negative way every day of your life versus living in a comedy and learning how to laugh and make light of things and enjoy life? And to look for the silver lining because there's always something going on that could cause us distress. But do we find the silver lining? Do we find a way to laugh about it? Do we find a way to make lemonade out of lemons? A recent um, review of the research on uh, a number of studies on meditation, so it was like what they call a mega-analysis, show that meditation is more effective than antidepressants for relieving anxiety, pain, and depression. That is profound. So if you're looking for a a way that doesn't cause harm to people, we can consciously use meditation, use the labyrinth, Use righteous indignation. Take action. There are ways that we can release negative emotions without creating harm. Some people like to scream it out. Some people like to take a a walk. We can talk more about some of these things, um, some of these ways that we can release anger. And we will do some of that and and negative emotions with Dr. Bernie Siegel, who we will talk with after the break. First, I would like to introduce him. 
he retired from general and pediatric surgical practice in 1989 and has since dedicated himself to humanizing the medical establishment's approach to patients and empowering patients to induce their own healing. His best-selling books, Peace, Love, and Healing, and 365 Prescriptions for the Soul are, are wonderful in addition to his new book, The Art of Healing. He's a sought-after speaker on patient and caregiver issues. If you have any questions for Bernie or myself, please call us at 866-472-5795 or send an email to Dr. Paula Joyce, Dr. Paula Joyce, no periods, at gmail.com. I look forward to talking with Dr. Bernie Siegel after the break. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Seek greater awareness. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. On the program Inside Out, our outsides match our insides. Join host Beth Green along with co-host James Maynard for an insightful weekly journey that lets us all be real with no boundaries. We'll discuss current events, interview amazing guests, challenge old ideas, and see ourselves and our world more clearly. It's about you as much as us. So you're invited to call in, write in, and most of all, tune in. Listen for Inside Out, live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? How do I get there? If you're searching for the answers to these and other spiritual questions, you can look within. And you can tune into The Open Door. Our program will expand your awareness of the teachings of the Ascended Masters, offer you practical tools that promote self-mastery and personal freedom, and provide an unerring pathway for graduating from Earth Schoolroom. The Open Door with host Tom Schumacher and Terry Kennedy is broadcast live every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You are listening to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit with Dr. Paula Joyce. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to drpaulajoyce at gmail.com. 
That's drpaulajoyce at gmail.com. Now, back to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. Welcome back, and we're here with Dr. Bernie Siegel, who has asked me to call him Bernie, so I will try to do that. Um, welcome, Bernie. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Paula. It's, you know, <laughs> I'm laughing because it's easy to be on your show because we agree with each other. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's a good thing. That's a fun thing to find in in this world that wants to, as you say in your book, to see, touch everything and hear it and and not to to understand or acknowledge the unseen. Oh, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. No, a thought just popped into my head because I I recently, I write a little newspaper column for a local paper. And um, what I wrote about, was something I saw in USA Today. That, and this is the craziness of the medical profession. A doctor notices in a study that married couples live longer and are healthier. So what's his conclusion? That if you have somebody who cares about you around telling you what to do, you take better care of yourself. I mean, I had to laugh at, you know, because I see my sense of humor. My article is... And, and again, this is statistically valid, that if you have a heart attack, go home to a house with a dog, <clears throat> a year later, 5% of the people had died. In a house with no dog, 26% of the people had died. Now, you see, I would write in the column, it must be that if the dog sees you're not eating the right food and exercising, he growls at you and bites <laughs> your leg. So, you know, and, and another one was that women with the same malignant melanoma stage in sight live longer than men. And again, these are physicians doing research. So his conclusion was estrogen and progesterone must be protecting the women. So my conclusion is that since married men live longer than single men with the same cancer, smoke as much and have less lung cancer as a single man, that sleeping with estrogen and progesterone protects you, you know, from cancer. And, it, it, you know, you have to understand that these, it, you know, physicians get what I call information, not an education. They're not trained about people. So they don't look at relationships as the reason people are surviving, whether it's having a dog, a goldfish, or, you know, children or a spouse. It's those other reasons for being alive. And that's something that I saw in my practice and was criticized for because I would ask people what is going on in your life. And doctors would say to me, you're blaming your patients. No, I'm not blaming them, but I'm asking them to look at why they might be sick at this time. Things like retirement, loneliness. I mean, we now have studies, the benefits of laughter, the deleterious effects of loneliness. So all those things, as you were mentioning, change our body chemistry. And then the body is made vulnerable or gets what I call a die message, not a live message. Like Monday morning, we have more heart attacks, strokes, suicides, and illnesses. Why? You don't like your life, your body reacts to it and does you a favor. (laughs) I mean, I'm laughing, but, you know, you have a heart attack, you don't have to go to work. See, you can stay in the hospital a few weeks now. Um, I know that sounds crazy, but your body doesn't see the disease 
as a bad thing. It sees it as a way of getting you attention and rest and help and so forth. So I say to people, give your body a message. The message is, I love my life. And then love your body also. Don't see it as a threat. And one more, because I I know I never stop telling stories because one thing connects me with another. But from a lot of my reading, you know, about meditation and uh, Zen and all kinds of things, I came up with this line, which I know works, because again, a, a therapist friend, Mark Mancola, mentioned a study he did and showed the benefits over several months. If people did this for just a few minutes a day, and I've combined several, but you say to yourself, thank you for everything. I am happy. I am healthy. I love my life. And I add, I love my wife and family, and I have no complaint whatsoever. So thank you for everything. I am happy. I am healthy. I love my life. I have no complaint whatsoever. And when people did that for several minutes a day over a few months, it changed their attitude and their life. And I have found it literally works because I test everything on myself, even things like laughing for no reason and how much better you feel when you do that. But I've noticed in the mornings now, I don't think about what I'm worried about. You know what I have to do today. Oh, I have to be ready for, you know, an interview. I have to, I, I just have a nice walk with our dogs and I notice that it's a pleasant time and that my thoughts are about the good things in life and not about what am I worried about? What do I have to do? What bills do I have to pay? What needs to be fixed at the house? Um, it's just, let's have a nice day. And it really has shifted me. And one last theme um, that came from Henry Nguyen's book, uh, Out of Solitude. Uh, he said he was talking to a Notre Dame University professor who said it used to be that I saw myself as a professor with my work and that I was always having my work interrupted, he said. And then one day I realized the interruptions were my work. And that helped me enormously, too. Now, when things, so-called things, go wrong, they're my work. See, I don't see them as interruptions now. I see them as a challenge. How do I get this fixed? How do I repair that? How do I take care of that? And then the rest of the day, I can do the other things that I wanted to do, you know? And as I say, it could be the interview, writing a book, uh, whatever you want, even going shopping, just doing. But the interruptions are now much more interesting and have become, in a sense, my work and what I can focus on and work out. And when you get into that state, I find that your consciousness is like, again, there are no coincidences, that the people who show up to fix your plumbing, you end up being a therapist for them. Because as you talk to each other, you find out, which everybody has, we all have wounds, that they have wounds. Or they're spouse has cancer and so we sit down and talk and I send them home with some of my books and I realize now I know why the plumbing you know the pipe leaked because I needed to talk to him and have him come to the house and sit and go over things with him 
And so, again, it just changes your whole day to, you know, let your unconscious, in a sense, create it and guide you through the day. And the, the numbers of coincidences then are incredible. Yes, and, and, and in a way we stop fighting our life and our experiences and start embracing them and looking for the, the meaning and yep. not um, getting so focused on the goal or the to-do list. Wouldn't it be great if we added to the to-do list interruptions? Talking yep. to people, laughing. <laughs> right. The Joseph Campbell said it just what you said in another way that helped me uh, reading some of his work. He said, when you're going through hell, ask yourself, what am I to learn from this experience? And I found that so helpful. You know, that... If I don't like how I'm behaving, how I'm feeling, um, and I want to change, you know, I'll apologize to people, but I also want to change and not have to act this way. And then I say to myself, okay, what do you learn from this experience? And it tells me, you know, what I need to do to change. I mean, to give you a simple example, um, if my wife said to me, honey, get me a glass of water, and I say, you need more exercise, you should get up and get the glass of water. I don't feel good, and she doesn't feel good. So I say to myself, hey, what am I to learn from this? And the answer is, you need to be more compassionate. Stop being a doctor, you know, and prescribing for everybody. Be more compassionate. So if my wife says, honey, I need a glass of water, oh, let me get you. You know, I'll be right back, and I go get it. And then I get a hug and a kiss, and I feel wonderful, and she feels good. And it's just that simple thing, you know, what am I to learn from this? And then you get an answer, and it changes you and uh, improves you and your life and your relationships. I agree, and, and it spreads, that energy spreads out beyond us, too, into that you called um, love energy, God, a mm-hmm. love energy and an intelligence. And I thought that was really beautiful because what we put into that energy also is important and what you're talking about is putting more love into it that we can all then have um, the ability and the joy of accessing I think it's part of the love and laughter that you talk about yeah the potential that's a word that I found meaningful that I mean, my definition of God was loving, intelligent, conscious energy. And I mean that in the sense that those four things are necessary if you're going to create, you know, the life that exists today. But within it are amazing mechanisms. I always say if you cut your finger, you don't panic. You cover it and it heals. So that potential is built into us. But again, to to achieve your full potential... You have to have what I said before, a a love of life and your body. And something I noticed, another one of uh, my books, in a sense, where I collected stories, it's called The Book of Miracles. And what impressed me when people sent in the stories was that they chose life. In other words, they chose what was good for them, but not in a selfish way. Because what they were choosing to do was life-enhancing for everyone. And then these amazing things 
would happen. You know, who you'd meet, um, hearing a voice. I mean, just to give you a simple example, you're taking a walk in a national park. It's very foggy. You're about to take another step when you hear a voice and it sounds familiar, so you turn and go back. And the next day when there's no fog, you realize if you had taken one more step, you would have been off a cliff. And those are things that I don't see, again, as accidents or coincidences. Um, These are people who have these things happen because of how they are living. You see, you may say, I heard a voice that sounded familiar, but who gives a damn? You know? So I'm going to keep going. But she turns to respond to that person. And uh, those are the things that I would say to everyone. Choose life. And amazing things will happen in terms of who you meet, um, finding a job, writing a book, whatever it is, um, what you're looking for, and there it is suddenly. Yeah, that's really, really beautiful. And I, it reminds me of that story that you told in one of your other books about um, uh, the airplane and the flat tires. Um, oh, yeah. I, I, yeah I, well, I called it spiritual flat tire. That Well, right. think about you know what's going on in Malaysia with, with that plane that disappeared. You're headed to the airport. You're scheduled to be on that plane. You get a flat tire, and you're mad as hell, cursing, why did God do this to me? I'm going to miss the plane. And then you find out it disappeared. And what do you do? You go out and hug the tire and say, thank you, thank you. Um, and, and so, again, other people have written that God uses flat tires. <laughs> um, you know, because, again, it's to change our direction, schedule, uh, and it happens. You know, and even back to 9-11, you know, when the planes are crashing into the tower and some people were late to work. I got to take my kid to school. I have to stop and, uh, you know, drop off laundry. Um, but then they find out, yeah, taking my kid to school saved my life. So I say stop judging and get into the flow. And you need that quiet mind. Uh, I mentioned Henry Newman's book. It was entitled, oh, oh I forgot now the title, but um, Solitude, that was it. And he starts the book by talking about the biblical story of Jesus going off in the middle of the night away from his, um, you know, followers and being alone. And he points out that we all need that time alone. I call it the still pond quiet mind because it's only when we quiet our minds, like the still water, that you see your true reflection and realize who I am and what my life is about. But while you're living in the turbulence, uh, you never focus on that. And you don't, you're not in, because you're not in touch with your consciousness. You're in touch with your intellect and what it's thinking and worrying about, but not that greater wisdom. And, uh, you know, that's all-inclusive. And as you said, it's not limited to the person, uh, but it goes out beyond us and affects those in our lives. Yes, and and there's so many ideas that I want to talk about, and we're going to need to break in just a minute. Will you be able to stay with us for the next section of the show for a few more minutes? 
Make me an offer I can't refuse. Okay, I, I guess I just have. That's what I want. All right, to I'll hear. be back with you. <laughs> okay, um, and just as a preview for our audience, I think some of the ideas of when the conscious and unconscious are in mm. conflict, because we've been talking, kind of stepping around that, and and the use of, of dreams and pictures uh, to help us get in touch with the yeah. unconscious. I think those are some ideas that our listening audience would really love to hear. Thank so you. we'll talk about some of that when we come back. Change the seventh wave channel on the Voice America Network. Being outside the box is your thrival guide to living outside this reality. Are you always waiting for your ship to come in? Do problems happen to you? What if you created your life rather than sitting by waiting? Do you live in the fantasies of this reality? Winning the lottery, waiting for your prince, princess to come, even being healthy? Do you always do what is expected of you rather than choosing for you? What if the rules didn't apply, and what if you could thrive from a different space? Join host Lynn Waldrop for Tools to Being Outside the Box. Listen Thursdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on 7th Wave. Being Here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss being here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane, right here on the 7th Wave Network. Explore subconscious programs, belief systems, and past life memories that may be sabotaging your life. Join host Dorian Light on her show, All About You, as she helps you to shift change and heal your life. Each week, Dorian does a light session using psychic energetics and the language of light to energetically shift and clear negative patterns you have stored regarding that week's topics. Step into the realm of infinite possibilities for your life. All About You airs live Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on 7th Wave. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You are listening to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit with Dr. Paula Joyce. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to drpaulajoyce at gmail.com. That's drpaulajoyce at gmail.com. Now, back to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. Welcome back, and we're here with Dr. Bernie Siegel, who's going to talk with us a little bit about some of the techniques that he uses to help people get into the unconscious, into the right brain, and to heal. Well, let me start with my own experience. Because of all my 
emotional trauma as a parent and doctor. Um, I went to Elizabeth Kubler-Ross workshop because when I say that, we're not trained to deal with death of patients, complications. You know, I'm trying to help people and I can't cure everything and fix everything. And uh, I didn't know what to do with myself. And um, at the workshop, Elizabeth asked me to draw a picture for her. So I drew an outdoor scene from a meditation. And then she started asking me questions about my life. And the key one was, Bernie, what are you covering up? I said, why did you ask me that? Because I knew it was all my feelings that were, I was burying inside and it was murdering me. And she said, Bernie, this is a white piece of paper. You made a mountain with snow on it, but you used a white crayon when the page is already white to make snow on the mountain. So what are you covering up? And boy, it just all poured out of me then. But when I thought, how does she know all this from the drawing? I mean, it woke me up to things that I wasn't trained about in medical school. And so I went back to the hospital in my practice, and I started giving my patients a box of crayons. And it was incredible what I thought I was discovering. And I mean this literally. Patients don't know what they're drawing in a sense. They don't know anatomy. But I'd look at the picture, and I knew I had a diagnosis from their drawing, you see. Uh, it also, something you mentioned earlier, it showed that there is psyche and spirit. In other words, there's your intellect and your intuitive wisdom. And if those two disagreed, you had a hard time going through medical treatment. Because if one is saying, I don't want it, and the other says, you have to have it, then you have all the side effects. But when they agreed, there was no conflict and people did well. I mean, Jung called it the simplex and the duplex. We are duplex apartments, if you know what I mean. There's more than one person living inside us, if you want to call it a person. And so it, when they all agree, then your body does very well. But when they don't, there's trouble. So I would share these drawings with patients. And then I sent articles to medical journals. Look what I have discovered. <clears throat> because I came across an article which said that Carl Jung, and he gave you the dream, interpreted a dream and correctly diagnosed a brain tumor. I thought, why don't they tell us that in medical school? So we'd ask patients if they had dreams, if they had inner wisdom. But I sent the article to medical journals. It came back saying, interesting, but not appropriate for a medical journal. I sent it to where it was appropriate. Psychology, art therapy, it came back again. But this time it said, yes, your article is appropriate, but it's not interesting. We know all this. And that blew my mind, you see, that the therapists were aware of it. But the one thing I learned, because I then sought out Jungian therapists to help me uh, understand and know more. But they said this one, um, Susan Bach, who knew Carl Jung many years ago, and she said to me, Bernie, Jung was fascinated by the somatic aspects of the drawings. And I said to her, it's because you don't know anatomy, and he did. So he was seeing things you didn't see. And I began to bring her drawings to demonstrate, you know, parts of the body. Um, yeah, and what I mean by that is people could draw a tree, and it could represent, you know, vessels in your body or ducts, or it could represent the brain. You know, when you think of all the folds in the brain, I mean, 
one tree, the boy with a brain tumor, you know he's drawing his brain because if you put a line around the outside of the tree, that's exactly what it looks like. So you'd see all these symbols. Sails on a boat look like breasts when the woman puts, you know, nipples on the sails of a boat. Um, and so all you have to do is hold it up in front of an audience and say, what part of the body is this? And people know. I mean, it immediately strikes them. So that comes forth in dreams and in drawings. And one more dream I may mention. A woman went to bed into uh, the room uh, where in her dream where she's sitting, a dark-skinned woman with an accent, foreign accent, walks in and says, you have a lump in your right breast, you need to have it checked. The woman said, when I woke up from my dream, I felt my breast and there was a lump there. So I went to the hospital and they diagnosed it as breast cancer. They then said to me, uh, your doctor, who's going to be uh, guiding you through your treatment, will be coming in in a few minutes to discuss this with you. A few minutes go by, the door opens into the room, comes a woman doctor from India with an accent, and it's the woman from her dream. Now you tell me, how does that happen? But again, consciousness is not limited in time. As Jung said, the future is unconsciously prepared long in advance. And so our consciousness is aware of what is going on in our bodies and our lives because we're creating it. So it knows where we're headed, what's going to happen. Um, and that's why mystics can you know, predict these things when they quiet their mind and they're capable of communicating with your state of consciousness. They can tell you these things. And again, the drawings help me because of that, as I say, intuitive wisdom. You know, that people would say, I don't want that treatment and draw a beautiful picture of it. And I'd say, you know it's good for you. Go ahead and get it. And then, as I said, others would draw the devil giving me poison. Now, what I found was, you know, I could say to that person, then don't go and do this or change your doctor. But when they said, no, I like the doctor, all right, then how do we change your relationship and reaction to this? And it was to picture yourself, you see, going for that treatment you thought was poison, and visualizing yourself getting it from a loving, caring doctor, having no side effects, going home, feeling well, having a good appetite, etc. And you do that four or five times a day. And then I say a week later, draw me another picture of your treatment. And it's amazing how beautiful it looks. Because the mind communicates to the body, the body thinks it's experiencing it, and it changes everything. And let me, one more statement about how powerful the mind is. See, the other side of the coin is how it awoke doctors to the truth, because I've had doctors call and tell me how terrible they felt, and they needed help. I said, what is it? They learned through technical errors that they had not been treating any of their patients. Now, what I mean by that is, you're a radiation therapist, you have the machine repaired, and you start treating people again. A month later, you do your routine inspection, you know, like taking your car in for a checkup, and you realize they never put the radioactive material back in the machine. So you haven't treated anybody for a month. Now, I said to that doctor, excuse me, you're not an idiot. He said, what do you mean? I said, if 
you, you know, if the patient had not had any effects as acting as if they were being treated, you would have realized this in a few days. I said, so it's obvious to me you didn't know what was happening because all your patients acted as if they were being treated. And I never forget his eyes popping out of his head and he said, oh my God, you're right. Now that, what he meant was patients had literally had tumor shrinking and side effects of the treatment they thought they were getting. Okay? So people who didn't get chemotherapy still could have had their hair fall out or their tumors shrink and the radiation, their skin is getting red and their tumors were shrinking because they thought they were being treated. Now, I look at the positive side, too, you see, because when you're sick every day after chemotherapy, vomiting, your husband hands you a bag in the car to throw up in all the way home, the woman said, I opened the bag the other day. There were a dozen roses for my husband in it, so I never vomited again. So we have to remember both things can happen. And if doctors learned how to communicate with people, I call it deceiving people into health. There's an article on my website with that because I learned that how I spoke to people was hypnotic because they had faith in me. See, I was the authority figure. So I could, I'll put it another way, I could lie to them for their benefit. You know, so I didn't tell them, you're going to feel this, this is going to happen, that's going to happen. Um, I would tell them in a positive way how well things were going to go and how they would not feel the pain and not this and not that. And they would look at me later and say, why don't other doctors do that? Uh, because they were hypnotized by my words. So what we did didn't hurt because they, they expected that it wouldn't hurt because I was saying, you know, if I rub this on you, give you this, it'll take care of it, you won't feel. And uh, it worked for them. And if it didn't, they didn't get mad at me. They would just say, you know, that didn't work. I still felt that. I'd say, oh, I'm sorry. You know, it was probably uh, inadequate treatment. Uh, and we'll make sure next time you get a larger dose. <clears throat> that, that reminds me of a story in your book about um, Betty Crocker, who was told she'd have six months to live. And, would, and, and then somebody told her, a doctor told her, well, actually, you'll be dancing in six months. And in six months to the day, she was dancing. Right. I, 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 that's I why I use the word potential. You know, that, that think of the television commercials that you see where it tells you to take a pill for your migraine headache. But then it tells you all the things that could go wrong because of that pill. You know what I mean? You sterilize your liver, have a heart attack. Um, you know, by the time you're done listening, who wants, I'd rather have a headache, <laughs> you know? And see, if we put that in the reverse way to enhance all the benefits of it, then people have the beneficial effects and not all the side effects that they heard the doctor talk about. Exactly. And uh, there was one more thing that you said, and then um, I'm going to need to close. But you talked about essentially firing your doctor. You know, and, and I think there's a self-empowerment component to the things that you talk about mm. that we're not victims. And 
as patients, we need to be in charge of our own uh, choices and, and our own lives, really. And if a doctor doesn't believe that we can get well and we want to get well, then find one who does. Right. I mean, when you think of one of our kids in an art class at school took the word words and wrote it all over a canvas. Words, 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 words. When he brought it home, it taught me a lesson. Because words, words, words become swords, swords, swords. And I thought, wow, I can kill or cure people with my words. And as I said, doctors need to know how to talk to people. But on the other hand, the word patient means a submissive sufferer. So a good patient does not do well because you're letting others inflict all kinds of things upon you. I always say to people, be a respite. That's a word I made up, R-E-S-P-A-N-T. Be a responsible participant in your life and the decisions. See, then what you go through becomes what I call a labor pain. As one woman compared her treatment to having a child, that the treatment was worthwhile because she gave birth to herself. Just as the nine months and the labor was worthwhile because she gave birth to her child. So if you see it as a labor pain, you have far fewer problems because you're choosing it, your body and mind are at peace with it, and you're going through it to give birth to yourself, your authentic self. And I'd say just as, you know, when we run out of time, that's a line I love when I'm being interviewed. Because I say we're all going to run out of time. So use your lifetime. You know, don't let others impose a life on you and tell you what they want you to be and do and so forth. Then you've lost your life. So be a responsible participant. Let your heart make up your mind. Pay attention to your feelings so they help you make decisions about what am I to do today? What do I want to be when I grow up? Um, you know, what will make me happy? Because I said, we have all these studies, and you mentioned them. Uh, you laugh for no reason, you end up living longer. A study done with cancer patients. Loneliness affects the genes that control immune function. So get a pet. Even a house full of plants will get you to live longer if you're taking care of them. I mean, again, I don't cite things that aren't studies or that I've heard from patients. And maybe it, best summarizing, a woman was told she had two months to live, and she said to me, I agree with the doctor this time. So I bought a dog. I put her in a backyard wildlife habitat. I laughed more and I took some vitamins. And she said, and I didn't die. Now I'm so busy, I'm killing myself. Help, where do I go from here? <laughs> I told her to take and we're, we're going to have to close on that. I'm sorry, you have so much wisdom. <laughs> Thank you, dear. I, I, I love... Well, you see it because it's in you. I'm connecting with that. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you so much for being with us and I want and sharing your wisdom and I want to remind our audience as I like to do at the end of each show, you are loved and I look forward to talking to you next week. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for tuning in to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. Please join Dr. Paula Joyce and her guest experts next Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Until then, have a positive week. Oh, 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 o